Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 19th, the 19th episode of PEM Podcast, the PEM Podcast episode 19. How do they usually, is it PEM Podcast episode 19? Yeah, PEM Podcast, Psychic Eye Mystery Podcast. <laughs> Sandy is not wearing pants. That's a little I TMI. <laughs> I, I am. I am wearing pants. I just I, thought I it'd be fun to what hold you... up a sign. <laughs> You are a nutty nut. My sister's a nutty nut, people. A nutty nut. She's normally like all business, all business, right? All like um, analytical and um, intelligent and everything. But so much fun. Like apparently she is not wearing pants. Are you are you heading out to throw more eggs? Is that why you're not wearing pants? You're just like you're wearing black tights. Big disguise. (laughs) Wearing sweatpants. Oh my god, hilarious! Me too. Me too. Only dressed from the top up. Boop, boop. Oh goodness. Um, we got we we've got an interesting show today. We're kind of going to be a little bit a little bit. We're going to mix things up just a tiny bit. Well, we're going to actually mix things up quite a lot. So if you're watching this rather than listening to this, we actually have a slideshow presentation that Sandy put together. Um, because just like really amateur. So bear with us. Not nearly as amateur as it would be if I did it. Okay. It would be like, I would be holding up three by five cards with stick figures. (laughs) That's pretty much what I would be doing. Yes. Um, So (laughs) no, I thought your slideshow, actually, when I looked through it, I thought it was very compelling. So um, we're trying to provide you with a little bit more entertainment. Not that we're not enough, please. (laughs) But... Um, just in case your eyes are getting bored, you know, your ears are totally entertained. Maybe your eyes are a little bored, uh, with our mugs. Um, we have a, we have a slideshow presentation, uh, throughout the case. So, um, that, and I'm not going to tell an anecdote. I'm not necessarily going to tell an anecdote this, uh, this week. I thought what we do would, would be to kind of tackle some of the questions that we get on, um, <clears throat> from YouTube. Um, and if you have, you know, this, this again, points me to a request, (laughs) um, multifaceted request. So if you like this podcast, if you like the channel, if you like me, if you don't like me, if you just like Sandy, (laughs) you would not be alone. (laughs) You have your own fan club, Sans. You have your own thing. I have my hate club. You have a friend club. Um, but if you, if you like what we're doing, please hit the like button. And if you want to, um, ring the bell, um, so that you can subscribe to our channel, um, and get notified, um, well also subscribe to our channel and then also ring the bell so you can get notified when we get new content up. That really, really helps us out, helps the algorithm. So, um, the like button takes two seconds, not even a second. That's it. It's one click. Why why doesn't everybody click it right now? Just, just do it. The like button, everybody. We'll wait. <laughs> but um, for subsequent shows that we have um, in the future, if you want to ask a question um, uh, related to psychic phenomena, to uh, mediumship, to kind of all of that stuff, please let us know. I think that we're going to, um, Sam came up with a, a really great suggestion because I do teach classes on mediumship and um uh, future forecasting, stuff like that. Um, I think I have a class starting again, maybe in the fall, maybe this, I don't know, uh, sometime at some time when I get a break, when I have a minute, 
to teach another class, I will, I will thoroughly, thoroughly investigate uh, whether or not I can launch that. But anyway, um, so I think that what we're going to do is put together a little bit of content around, um, you know, uh, little ways that you can kind of work on your own intuition, little exercises, little things that you can do to kind of enhance your own radar. Um, that will include do that. stick figures, by the way. <laughs> Don't give away my presentation, Sandy. <laughs> shadow puppets. We'll do shadow puppets. That's what we'll do. <laughs> Sock puppets. <laughs> yes, how to be a medium. <laughs> oh my God. Hilarious. It's oh, Friday. I'm sorry. It's Friday. Right? It's been a oh long, long ass week. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna so, I'm gonna need a cocktail after this is over and done with. Um, anyway, so um, I'll be answering questions that we got. Um, uh, people were commenting on the YouTube, on the YouTube feed, um, and if you have any questions for me, um, or even for Sandy, <laughs> it'd be interesting if Sandy got any questions because I would be interested to see how she would not answer them. <laughs> is Sandy wearing pants? Is she wearing pants this week? That's the burning question that everyone wants to I really, know. I really don't think that should be a burning question. Just to be clear, I'm wearing sweatpants. <laughs> so she says, so she I, says, it's a mystery as to whether or not, oh, stop, <laughs> put that leg down. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, so um, let's kick it off with book promotion. Um, a grave prediction. Um, is, I don't know, something, something in the Abby Cooper Psychic Eye Mysteries, um, I don't know, book, I don't know, 13, I don't know, 14, something like that. Um, and in this book, in this book, um, little, little, uh, little fact. So in this book, um, uh, I had asked the artist to put um, a sweater that I've loved Kira Sedgwick's character on the closer used to wear. And I loved that sweater. So I was like, can you have Abby wearing that? And she did. She put it in, which I thought was great. Um, but Abby heads out to LA, Los Angeles, um, which is why I wanted the sweater put in because it's the same city as the closer. Um, it's a, like a favorite show of mine. I loved the closer. Loved Kira Zed. I loved Kira Zed. Who doesn't love Kira Zed? Please. Um, anyway, so Abby heads to LA. There's a series of bank robberies. Um, that the FBI Bureau in LA is trying to solve. She lends her intuitive prowess to the cause. And um, there is a side mystery that is also taking place where <clears throat> Abby's kind of caught between two timelines. One was in the distant past and one is in the present day. And um, there's an intermingling of energies there and Abby has to kind of figure it all out with her sidekick, Candace. So this is the start where Abby, who is notoriously out of shape, um, is kicked to the curb by her uh, sidekick, Candace, to start getting in shape. And I think this was right around the time that I started CrossFit. So I was like, if I have to suffer, so do my readers. <laughs> so read about it bitches um yeah so that's a great prediction and family members just to be clear <laughs> victoria is famous for oh come on let's go for a quick jog and then the next thing you know she's left you in the dust 
and then teases you by circling back going, come on, why can't you run faster? Because <laughs> there's a wild boar chasing me right now. Oh my like, God. You know. So Sandy came, came down when I lived in Texas, Sandy came down to visit and we headed to the trail. And um, I was like, well, I'm going to go this way. Um, uh, cause I wanted, I wanted to do more miles and Sandy was just yeah. going to do like two or three. Right. So I want to do so the, Victoria, like five or six. So I've never been here before. Never been here, right. but she's like, just go in that go direction. In that, there's, you couldn't get lost. It's, it's a trail that loops back. So even if you did, you could just retrace your, your steps. Like it's paved people. Okay. Then send her into the wild. But then again, it is Texas. So I go my way and I'm running and I see, I see this guy, um, next to a bicycle that has fallen over. And I'm thinking, oh my God, he must be hurt because he's kind of bent over. And there's like a mound of what I think is like dirt. He's bending over and he's expecting. And as they get closer, it's not a mound of dirt. It's a wild boar that apparently was hit by a car. Um, no blood or anything, no gore, but um, succumbed. And this thing was probably 450 pounds. And the tusks on it were like, I can't, they were like, two and a half, three inches across. Like they were massive, massive. So that's the direction she sent me in to run. Go towards <laughs> no, the it's boar. Not. No, dead, it's not. It's not. On the Sandy, road. it's not. It is. I didn't say no, Sandy. I came back and told you about it. And then we ran, then we drove up. Remember we drove the direction up. I had gone. Yeah. No, or dead. no, 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 no. You went the opposite way. Here we are arguing. We can take this offline, <laughs> but I did not send you in the direction of the wild boar because you didn't run into the wild boar. You would have come back and told me. I came back and told you. Okay, let's be clear. Just for the record, you went one way, I went the other. I went yeah. in the direction of where the wild boar ended up. I came back, oh. boar gets hit. You passed me, go down towards the boar, come back. Sorry. That's what happened. Oh my God, people, she's so wrong. I'm sorry, but you're. I, I ran that trail millions of times. I know exactly where I sent you. I did not send you in the direction of the boar. You came back. I was like, yeah, there's a wild boar down there. The guy, we're like, what? Let me go see this. We got in the car. We drove down there. We took a look. You were like, oh my God. And I was like, yeah, well, that'll be taken care of by the vultures in a day or two, because again, Texas. So, um, yeah, this thing I immediately massive. went to the airport. The guy who out. was the guy who was bending over the board. This is this is kind of interesting. So he's bending over the board, and the board is still warm, like it it basically just succumbed. And um, I'm like, don't get too close to it. And he's like, it's okay, I'm a veterinarian. And I kept thinking about that later, like, what is that going to do? Like, if the board jumps up and starts to gore you, you'll be no, wait, I'm a veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. The world be I like, have superpowers. Oh, sorry, wrong person. You know, like and my name is Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> exactly. I know it's okay. I'm a veterinarian. <laughs> All right, dude. <laughs> oh, fun times. Anyway, um, so that's our wild board story. Um, board, wild board, wild board story. Um, okay, so question. Our audience is bored with that story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that they're intrigued. Like, it's not every day you run across a wild boar. Honestly, a 450 pound. I mean, the thing was massive. It was, it was, it was seriously like a small car. It was enormous, absolutely enormous. There's a huge problem um, of wild boars down in Texas. Like really, really, they're dangerous. They pretty much eat everything in their path. So you definitely don't want to get in front of one ever. So anyway, enough about that. <laughs> Sandy, throwing it over to you, kicking the ball Ooh, over to you. Um, for questions, go ahead, fire away. At pass, pass. <laughs> what? No, I'm kidding. All right, so one of the questions that our uh, fans have asked is, uh, what happens to evil people when they cross over? 
Um, I can only speak to a little bit of this, honestly. Um, um, the other side, they're very careful when they talk about, like, because I've been doing a lot of uh, communicating with the other side about some of these murders that we've been covering. And in none of those instances, do they identify someone as being evil? They identify someone as doing evil deeds. So they're making a, a big distinction. I think that when people choose to go down a path that is evil, evil as we would define it, um, is for one of two reasons. One, they're broken, okay? Just really just a broken human being. And the other is there's some sort of mental chemistry balance um, illness that is causing them um, to act in this manner. So there's some sort of psychosis that's going on. So the soul, they never identify the soul as necessarily being evil. Having said that, you make your choices here and you have to um, own up to them on the other side. So there's a really great story um, that I read in a book when I was researching World War II on Adolf Hitler. And um, <clears throat> Hitler was actually a scout in World War I and he was on the German front. So the German Russian front, excuse me, he was on the Russian front. And um, uh, he had come back from a mission. It was late at night um, or early in the morning. It was during a ceasefire. He was uh, supposedly exhausted. He just wanted to eat his rations. He jumped into the trench next to his comrades. Um, and he heard a voice in his head and the voice said, get up and move. And Hitler, you know, at first was like, brushed it off, started to open his rations. The voice insisted, get up and move, get up and move, get up and move. So because he was annoyed, he started moving down the, the trench, began to sit down again. The voice came back on in his mind and it was like, get up and move. So just to shut the thing up, he kept walking down the trench until he was about 200, 200 yards away from where he had been. And as he sat down, a mortar came over and um, uh, detonated uh, right in the middle of the soldiers that he had been about to sit amongst. And that story bothered me for so many years because I thought, you know, what fucking guide is going to keep Hitler alive? You know, like we could have avoided 100 million dead. We could have avoided World War II if, you know, he had just sat down and gotten blown up with everybody else. And um, it took me a while of kind of thinking on it and, and really kind of meditating before I kind of got the answer. And the answer was that we choose our paths. So Adolf Hitler was always meant to be a powerful person. And he chose to go down an evil path rather than a positive path. Um, and so um, is he on the other side? I have no doubt that he is, but he has to sort through the grief he caused a hundred million, a hundred million souls. So I think that's why no one has ever, no medium has ever, you know, heard from Adolf Hitler because the man has a lot of stuff to get through, right? Um, there's a lot to unpack there, the misery and the suffering and the hurt that he caused. I don't expect him to recycle back through anytime soon. I think he's like locked in over there along with, you know, some of these others that are um, so notoriously um, hateful um, and have chosen such terrible, terrible paths to put other people through. So that's what, that's what I think happens to quote unquote evil people, souls who actually commit evil crimes.
they have to, they have to, um, <clears throat> there's a, not necessarily a penance, but they have to own it. And so they have to kind of experience in a way what their victims went through. So it's not fun from what I understand. Okay. Uh, another great question. Do murder victims confront their killers on the other side? I have never had someone tell me from the other side that um, they encountered the person that murdered them. I just haven't had that. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> I think it's a choice. Honestly, I think it's a choice. So I think if they both end up on the other side right around the same time, like case in point, um, I was reading for a client not too long ago and <clears throat> her ex-husband actually um, killed his girlfriend and then killed himself. It was a murder-suicide um, pact. And it was very sad because he, he came through Im immediately and was so regretful, so sorry. Um, and um, to her, because he had kind of put through her through a trauma um, in, in the ending that he chose for both himself and his girlfriend, right? So he was deeply, deeply, deeply regretful. Um, but there was no indication that he had anything to do with the girlfriend that he murdered on the other side. So I have a feeling it's the victim's choice. Um, I don't know that for sure, but I kind of have the feeling that if the victim is in a space where they are kind of recovered from that trauma and they want to encounter that person, I think that there's absolutely an open door there. And I'm sure that there are souls kind of gathered around to comfort, provide comfort and care and help, you know, help them through that, help both the souls kind of through that. But I have never heard from someone who was murdered by someone else and said, yeah, I encountered my killer. I just, I haven't heard of that. Does it happen? I'm sure it does. You know, I'm sure it does, but I just, I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. So I, I can't say definitively yes or no. Uh, another question is, does everyone cycle back? And if so, is there a certain timeline? I think, um, I think most people choose to cycle back because this is such a great learning experience. So I think most people do, do recycle through. Um, usually I think the timeline's up, you know, a hundred years, maybe a little bit more. Um, and it just, it really depends. Um, some people circle back through pretty quickly. Um, there was, um, I had a, a client who, um, um, had a relative who had been, um, really not very fun, very abusive, and they were getting ready to come back through pretty quickly because they had been <clears throat> so kind of terrible. Yeah, there was a there was a malignant narcissism element to it for sure, but um, they felt that the best way to sort of work through what they had done was to come back down and kind of be in the role of victim, um, so that they could learn that perspective. So um, most of our cluster, most of our family, most of our loved ones cycle back through kind of together, um, sort of together. Um, so if you, uh, uh, you know, if your mom crosses over and then you cross over, it's, it's like you'll encounter her on the other side and your grandparents, your great grandparents, maybe not, maybe not. Like our great grandmother is still on the other side. She hasn't circled back through yet. Um, but um, from what I can tell, 
there's sort of a 100 to 150 year span um, that goes by for people to kind of come back through. Okay, and then uh, do our pets wait for us on the other side? They definitely do. Oh my God, I had the cutest reading last night, actually. <clears throat> I was reading for a, um, a young woman and this was her first reading. And she was so open, which was fantastic. I love it when their energies are open because you just get flooded with information. It's fantastic. And her grandfather came through and her grandfather, she was very close with her grandfather. He was the first person through the gate, um, was so talkative and chatty. He was just wonderful. And he held up this little dog. And so I'd asked her, I said, did you recently bury a small dog that you loved? And she said, yes, um, her beloved little Bichon she had buried. <clears throat> and then I kept seeing popsicles. and. Um, um, I was like, you know, is the dog's name like Popsicle? And she, she said, no, but that was his favorite treat. Right? Adorable. The, the dog loved Popsicles. So um, grandfather, granddad was um, feeding the puppy Popsicles, um, Popsicles on the other side. Um, so yeah, our pets absolutely wait for us. Um, it's my belief that sometimes they cycle back through um, if we desperately, desperately need them. Um, sometimes they'll cycle back through, but more often than not, they just kind of hang out and wait for us to cross so that they can be the first to kind of greet us when we cross over the rainbow bridge. Um, I, and it's usually one family member <clears throat> that's sort of responsible for watching over the family's pets. So one person is kind of in charge of taking care of, you know, all the cats, dogs, guinea pigs, hamsters, you know, horses, <laughs> goats, alpacas, whatever. Okay. Um, on the other side, um, for the whole family. And um, I love it when those people come come forward to me because they will show the, <clears throat> the pet that my client is missing the most. And then around their feet, around the, the, from the person on the other side, around their feet, I'll see like a whole bunch of little, little critters, you know, kind of circling around. Um, uh, and it, it's a little bit of chaos, which I kind of love. And they kind of roll their eyes, like see what I have to put up with over here kind of thing, which I think is really cute. So. They do wait for us. And then finally, what happens when you have a client who wants to connect with a loved one who didn't speak English? Oh, language is no, there's no barrier. Um, mostly because they communicate through impressions, thoughts, feelings, and photos, pictures, images, um, references to pop culture. So it's not like <clears throat> I need them to speak English. It's, um, they'll indicate maybe that they came from another country. Like um, I have a dear friend of mine who's also a client and um, her grandmother came through and was extremely talkative um, and supplied tons of really, really great information. And I didn't know that, I, I knew that she came from China, but I didn't know that she didn't know English. There was no language barrier for me. And my friend let me know later, she said, yeah, my, my grandmother actually came from a very tiny village, spoke a dialect that is super rare um, in China. Um, and there was zero language barrier at all, um, which I thought was awesome. Um, and I've, that's, that's happened a lot. There've been a lot of relatives who <clears throat> um, lived and died in other countries and um, were fountains of information. Um, and, and never spoke a word of English, which is no barrier over there. It's all kind of this telepathic kind of impression kind of thing going on. So, um, yeah, 
languages, there might be like a thing that they'll show me that might be a little off, like as a custom, they might do something that I'm like, well, that's weird. And then it could be like that custom in that country. So something that was celebratory, you know, and I'll be like, that's odd. Um, but my client will say, no, that's part of the custom. That's part of the culture. So um, that's the only time that it's a little odd, a little off. But other than that, yeah, they communicate just fine, which is cool. So thanks for your questions, guys. And if you have any more, please hit the like button, then put your comment in. <laughs> then subscribe. Then subscribe. Hit the bell. So you know. Yeah. <laughs> Do a little dance. Exactly. Exactly. All right, sweetheart. So um, Sands, we're going to talk about Amy Lynn Bradley, the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. This is a pretty famous case. Um, and, um, you know, it's not necessarily unknown what we think happened to her, but um, I've certainly got my impressions. So um, I'm going to, as Sandy's- Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a, wait a minute, please. <laughs> because today's podcast is one of three that we are focusing on victims that have disappeared uh, or had something happen to them on a, a cruise ship. So when I was researching Amy's story and the other two that will follow over the next two weeks, I, I discovered that according to insider.com, nearly 400 people have gone overboard on cruises and ferries since the year 2000, which is about an average of 19 people per year. Shit. This disturbing reality surrounding cruise ship vacations is that there are no police on board and it is highly unlikely that a disappearance case will be resolved quickly. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. there are no police on board? Any of these nope. cruise ships? Nope. They don't what happens if they a crime gets committed, committed? Well, let me finish. <laughs> so in 2016 alone, there were 62 reported sexual assaults on cruise ships. Uh, and according to the FBI, only 16% of all murders and 7% of all sexual assaults aboard cruise ships lead to convictions or plea bargains. Why are these rates so low? Most of these ships fly under a Bahamian flag or register off the shores of the United States, including Panama, Bermuda, Italy, Malta, and the Netherlands. These flags of convenience, as they're known, enable the ship owners to skirt American safety and consumer protection laws. And as a result, they greatly inhibit the legal rights of uh, passengers. So as of 2012, a law went into effect granting the FBI jurisdiction over any report of a U.S. citizen disappearing off of a cruise ship. Um, and today's podcast is about someone who actually disappeared before that law was implemented. So there isn't a lot of information or um, legal intervention on this particular case. I've never taken a cruise and I don't ever plan after hearing that. I don't after actually after tuning in on this story, I don't ever plan on doing one. Have you ever done a, a cruise since? I can't remember. If you I have. did once. Oh. I said, I said personally, never again. It's just not, no, not my scene. Yeah. No. no, thank you. But I, I think that, you know, you're sold this beautiful visual, you know, promised experience. And the reality is, is you do not have legal rights on a cruise ship. If the flag of convenience is the ship is registered out, you know, off the shores of the United States. And for the most part, major cruise lines do not register in the United States because the taxes are so high. Wow. So buyer beware. Yeah, uh, know, I'm sure people have term. wonderful experiences on cruise ships. Yeah, uh, you know they are an interesting type of vacation. But if you're a young woman in particular, yeah, be careful. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. 
Like I, you couldn't pay me if I was under the age of 40 to actually get on a cruise after having gone down the rabbit hole of Amy Lynn Bradley's disappearance, honestly, um, truly, truly. I mean, she was with her parents. So scary, super scary. All right. Now, is it time for you to take it away and for me to throw a slide up? Okay. Now it's time. Okay. Okay, so 23-year-old Amy Lynn Bradley was vacationing with her family on a Royal Caribbean's Rhapsody of the Sea in late March of 1998. At some point after docking in Curacao, Amy went missing, and authorities do not believe that Amy fell overboard, but instead suffered something far more nefarious. Amy was born on May 12, 1974 in Petersburg, Virginia. Her parents, Ron and Iva Bradley, raised Amy and her younger brother, Brad, in Chesterfield County, 20 miles outside of Richmond. After graduating from high school, Amy, who was outgoing and athletic, opted to stay close to home and attended Longwood University in Farmville on a basketball scholarship where she earned a degree in physical education. And then Amy decided to continue at the university to secure a graduate degree. And upon graduation, which was just a few minutes before she disappeared, she had planned to start a new job as a at a computer consulting firm. To celebrate Amy's pending success, the family booked a spring break vacation on the Royal Caribbean's Rhapsody of the Seas. Even though she was a strong swimmer and had spent many summers working as a lifeguard, Amy was actually terrified of open water, especially the ocean. So while she was reluctant at first, Amy ultimately agreed to join the family on their all-inclusive Caribbean cruise. On March 21st, 1998, the Bradley family boarded the Rhapsody of the Seas and set sail from Puerto Rico for Aruba. On March 23, 1998, on the third day of the cruise, the ship sailed to Curacao. Like Aruba, Curacao is also a Dutch Caribbean island under the Kingdom of the Netherlands. That evening, the family attended a dinner party in the upper deck of the ship, and after dinner, Amy and Brad decided to attend a Mardi Gras nightclub party where they, were enjoy where they enjoyed drinking and dancing with the members of the ship uh, and their band, the Blue Orchid, well into the early morning hours of March 24th. One band man member, Alistair Douglas, otherwise known as Yellow, was seen drinking with Amy, and a ship's videographer, Chris Fenwick, captured the two on video dancing. Yellow claims to have left the party at around 1 a.m. At around 3.35 a.m., Brad headed to the family's cabin, and the ship's computerized door lock system recorded Amy entering the cabin five minutes later. Brad and Amy sat out on the suite's balcony to talk about their evening before Brad retired to his bed. Amy opted to sleep out on the balcony on a lounge chair as she had experienced some minor seasickness throughout the cruise and found the fresh air helpful. Between 5.15 a.m. and 5.30, Ron got up out of bed to check on his kids and saw that Brad was tucked into his bed and through the closed glass sliding door, he saw Amy out on the balcony asleep in a lounge chair. Content that his children were safe inside the family suite, Ron went back to bed. However, when he got up 30 minutes later at 6 a.m., he noticed that Amy was not on the balcony or in the cabin and her cigarettes and lighter were missing. Presuming that she had gone for a smoke, Ron elected to find Amy as it was unlike her to leave without telling someone in the family where she was going. <clears throat> he searched the common areas of the ship, but couldn't find his daughter. So he quickly returned to the family cabin at 6.30 and woke Brad and Iva to inform them, inform them that Amy was missing. Their joyful family vacation was about to turn into a true nightmare. The Bradleys immediately contacted the ship's purser's office about Amy, but the purser was reluctant to use the ship's paging system because of the early morning hour. 
Having just docked in the port of Curacao, the purser and team were focused on organizing passenger day trips, and several crew members were scheduled for a day in port for some R&R. Amid the morning chaos, the Bradleys pleaded with the crew members to keep the ship's 2,000 passengers from disembarking until Amy could be located. Ivan now panicked, declared, you need to lock the ship up. You need to back the ship off the dock. Don't let anybody off this boat. Somebody's got my daughter. At 7.50 a.m., the crew agreed to issue a shipwide announcement asking for Amy to report to the purser's desk, but by then, most of the passengers had left the ship for the day. Finally, the captain ordered a search of the 120-pound, 5'7", green-eyed brunette. The ship's personnel were made aware of Amy's numerous tattoos, including a baby Tasmanian devil spinning a basketball on her left shoulder blade, tribal sun with a Chinese symbol in the middle of her lower back, and a Chinese symbol on her right ankle, and a green and blue gecko lizard around her navel. Officials claimed that they had searched all 10 decks, including the ship's 999 rooms, but found no trace of Amy. The Netherlands Antilles Coast Guard then conducted a four-day search in the surrounding waters and along the cruise lines, but did not find any sign of Amy. The official conclusion, Amy may have fallen overboard or jumped to her death. Unwilling to accept this conclusion, Amy's family focused on piecing Amy's last hours aboard the cruise ship. Sometime between 5.30 and 6 a.m., they know that Amy got up, changed her clothes, and left the cabin with her lighter and cigarette. Ron talked to two passengers who told him they saw a woman matching Amy's description taking an elevator to the ship's deck with a cigarette and lighter. Crystal Roberts reported that she saw Amy early that morning with a bass player from the ship's band. Quote, I saw Amy and the band member walk over and up to the next deck above us, and about 10 minutes later, he came walking around by himself, end quote. The family also encountered a cab driver who stated that a woman matching Amy's description approached him claiming that she had urgently needed a phone. The cabbie sighting was never confirmed by authorities. As the ship sailed on from Curacao, it became apparent that the Bradley's beloved daughter might have been kidnapped from the ship and forced into the Caribbean's illegal human trafficking industry. In particular, the statement that a band member, Yellow, provided to authorities contradicted what was captured on closed caption TV. A ship's waiter was also suspected in Amy's disappearance due, due to his overt attention during dinner service on the night of the 23rd. He was persistent in asking Amy to join him for a drink once the ship reached Curacao. Finally, the ship's professional photographer had printed out all the photos taken throughout the cruise to sell at his kiosk, but the family could not find any photos of Amy, which was odd, which prompted them to think that the photos of their daughter had been stolen for degenerate purposes. In the years after her disappearance from the Royal Caribbean cruise ship, Additional reports of sightings of Amy seem to support the theory that she was a victim of human trafficking. In fact, it was common knowledge in the maritime community that attractive young white women are very desirable to foreign procurers. Reported sightings included in August of 1998, five months after her disappearance was made public, and a detailed description of Amy was released that included her defining characteristics and tattoos, a Canadian computer engineer claimed to have seen Amy with two men walking on a beach in Curacao. The witness noticed that the woman was constantly trying to get his attention until he lost sight of her at a nearby cafe. The woman's tattoos were reportedly identical to Amy's and could be seen clearly by the man as he sat two feet away from her. He was certain the woman he saw was Amy. In January of 1999, a U.S. petty officer claimed to have encountered a woman in a brothel in Curacao who told him that her name was Amy Bradley. As she explained that she was being held against her will and not allowed to leave, she begged him for help. Unfortunately, the petty officer waited until he had retired from the Navy before he contacted Amy's family, <clears throat> as he feared for his career having been in a brothel illegally. In 2005, Judy Maurer came across a woman in the restroom of a department store in Barbados. 
The woman was accompanied by three men who proceeded to threaten her if she did not follow through on a deal. After the men left, Judy approached the distraught woman who managed to tell her that her name was Amy and that she was from Virginia before the men re-entered the restroom and took her away. Judy called authorities and helped to create a composite sketch of Amy and of the three men. On November 17th in 2005, on an episode of Dr. Phil, Ron and Iva appeared and shared an email they had received on the Bradley family website containing two images of a woman that resembled Amy. The photographs were forwarded to the family by a member of an organization that tracks victims on sites that feature sex workers. Known as Jazz, the woman in the photos appeared to be distraught and despondent. With no further sightings of Amy or solid evidence of her demise, the family had declared her legally dead on March 24, 2010, 12 years after her disappearance from the Rhapsody of the Seas. Officials of the Royal Caribbean Cruise Line insist that Amy either left the ship on her own, on her own or met with an unfortunate accident. Her family is convinced the opposite is true. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $25,000 for any information that could potentially lead to the recovery of Amy Lynn Bradley or an arrest or conviction of the person or persons responsible for her disappearance. In addition, the Bradleys are offering a $250,000 reward for information leading to Amy's safe return and separately are offering a $50,000 reward for information leading to Amy's current location. My sources for this story are Wikipedia, unsolved.com and ranker.com unspeakable times shocking facts about amy lynn bradley the woman who disappeared at sea by phil gibbons updated september 23rd 2021 tough case really 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 like the, this is kind of the second one that we've done in subsequent weeks where the victim is just like she's right there you know, she's right there. If anybody could just find her, um, just hear her. Um, so my take is um, I reached out to the other side um, and pretty much they said that <clears throat> um, Amy was taken by members of the crew, <clears throat> that there was like this ring of um, these guys. Um, I got the impression that it was definitely more than two or three. I got the impression it was like five to six of these um, men and I got a, a, a strong connection to the kitchen. So when I was doing some research on um, kitchens for large cruise ships, um, because you know they have to um, prepare like 30,000 meals, um, no small task. So the kitchens are massive and they have massive um, storage rooms and they have massive prep rooms that are kept separate. So fruit is done in one room, meat is done in another room, dairies on another so there's no cross-contamination um, for people who have food allergies so they keep that all you know really super separate so my my impressions were that amy was um definitely kidnapped she was drugged and she was either uh, squirreled away to one of these rooms or put in a storage unit um that was basically soundproof so like a refrigerator, but the temperature wasn't set to freezing. Um, and then when it was <clears throat> time to um, bring on more produce and food or um, take out the garbage, she was carted off the ship. Um, there was a sense that she was carted off in a container of some kind um, that um, allowed her to breathe, but... Um, I don't think that she was conscious during that time. I think that they drugged her. Um, and I think that they kept her drugged um, and um, basically sold her into the sex slave industry. Um, I 
100% believe that the sightings of her were actually Amy. I believe those pictures of her were Amy. I mean, you, it's just so clear to me, you know, that that's Amy in those pictures. Um, as for what happened to her, that's where, you know, I want to prepare you guys. It's a little bit of a gut punch, but I was basically told that um, someone wanted to know what it was like to murder, um, to murder a girl. And so they paid for the, for the experience. Um, and that's, um, how she died. Um, and I believe that she was starting to call too much attention to herself anyway. So they kind of set this up. Um, I don't believe that she was necessarily taken into a, an alley and shot, but I do believe that, um, there was a bit of suffering for her, unfortunately. Um, but there was also a sense from the other side, they said, you know, even though she fought, um, to the bitter end, there was a sense of relief and release because, you know, the poor woman had been in absolute hell. Seven for years. Almost, yeah. For almost seven years. years. So, um, just, uh, it's just awful. It's just awful. What happened to her just awful that this kind of industry exists, um, because there are m literally millions of Amy's out there, honestly. Um, and, um, I wrote down that there was something like, uh, 25 million people are in human are involved in uh, are trapped in human trafficking, um, and this includes slave labor um, and um, the sex uh, traffic industry and children. You know that's a whole thing. Um, pedophile um, tourism. Oh, um, it's a whole thing, and it's despicable and disgusting. Um, so um, when I asked about Amy on the other side, what she was doing on the other side, they pretty much assured me that she was um, actually doing very well on the other side and that she was <clears throat> involved in helping children who, who are, had met their demise um, through the same conditions, um, helping with their transitions. And there was this one thing that I thought was kind of unusual and sort of beautiful. Someone said um, from the other side, they said that she lives at the end of a rainbow. And they give me a distinct impression of like a little small kind of cottage looking house where a rainbow was like began um, in the, in the yard, in the side yard. So she was literally on the other side, living next door to a rainbow. Um, and it was a beautiful kind of peaceful scene that was put into my mind's eye. And I truly hope that's exactly where she is. I truly hope that she is not suffering an, an iota um, over what um, her experience was, but that, that is kind of, um, that's my experience. The only other thing that they kind of indicated, which I thought was interesting, was that she's already working on her next life, um, working on her blueprint for her next life. And that that blueprint includes um, a position uh, where she will wear a badge. So I have no doubt that at some point she'll come back through in a position to do something about um, uh, the sex slave industry or the human trafficking industry. Um, because they made me feel like that's important to her to be on the side that can help here on this plane. So um, my heart goes out to her parents and her brother. It's, I, could just, I can't, if, if you disappeared and I never knew what happened to you, it would break me. It would absolutely break me. So I really feel for them. Not to get emotional, but I really feel for them. No, I... I... I can't imagine knowing that your child like likely was put into this situation 
I yeah. think it's, you know, it's a brutal hell on, on earth. So you can tell from the, the photos, around. you know, particularly the dad, how he's just, you know, like the, just the way he stands, this is my family and protective of them, you know, and the fact that he went and checked on his children twice, um, you know, these are adults and he's still checking on them. Um, I can't imagine what that does to you. I just can't imagine. what that Well, does. I also think that, you know, there was strong intuition on the family's part. Um, you know, Amy Panic. didn't want to go on the cruise. Yeah. She did not want to go on the cruise. And um, she was, you know, rightly so encouraged to participate in the family uh, event. They were looking to celebrate her. Um, the father checked on his kids twice that night. Uh, the waiter that, you know, kind of got everybody unnerved Keep down. and then, and then <clears throat> Iva, the, mo the mother was insistent, you know, lock up the ship. I know my daughter is in yeah. trouble. And yeah. I think what's she so was. frustrating is because it's not a U.S. oriented, um, ship, even though it's a, maybe, well, it's a Dutch, a Dutch cruise line, but their laws do not protect the passengers on, on the ship. So right. why would a purser shut down the ship and inconvenience all these people for one possible passenger that would bring a ton of scrutiny on the cruise ship? If, for sure. if this ring of people in the kitchen are running a sex trafficking ring, yeah, you don't want to be the captain of that ship. And that's the other tragedy too, is that they searched supposedly all 999 rooms. No well, way. That's not, no that's not, way. well, even if they did, that's not where Amy was. I know, you know, that's not where she was. Um, she was, um, I think quickly moved to the kitchen, moved to the back because who would think to look for her there, right. Yeah. In one of those storage rooms. Yeah. So, but I, I, so you, I you, absolutely think that the authorities knew what happened to her. I think in, in Curacao, I think that the authorities knew what happened to her. Um, and I think that the, um, powers that be on the cruise ship also had a really strong sneaking suspicion because this isn't an isolated case. This actually happens. Curacao is a, is a big marketplace for um, sex traffickers. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it, people are known to disappear in airports and um, ports. Um, mm -hmm. Young women are known to disappear. So it's a beware. big cruise industry port, by the way. It's, you know, oh. um, most, most cruise lines stop in Curacao if you're doing the Caribbean. Yeah. So it's that it would route. be it would be exactly where if if um, there aren't a lot of um, uh, law enforcement eyes looking out for women like this and children like this, it would be the um, a playground for sex traffickers. Right. They would be like, yeah, that one. Take her. That one. Take her. So, yeah. And well, you, I read well, some I'm so sorry, since um, I read somewhere else when I was like diving into this, that um, a Caucasian white woman um, could go for as much as like 30,000 um, pounds um, on the sex, uh, you know, depending on like how many boxes she checked, you know, um, because they were at a premium, unfortunately. So um, there was, there was money to be made. You said to me earlier that you didn't think this case would ever be solved. I don't think it will. Yeah, I don't know how it would be, honestly, because no one's no one would cooperate. Number one, it's too old. Um, you know, it's over twenty years old. Number two, you're never going to find her body ever. Um, and number three, you're never going to get anybody to admit that because she basically, I felt like she changed hands so many times. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
And who cares if you're in that industry, you don't give a shit about the women. You don't care. They are an object. They're not even, they're nothing that you attach any kind of emotion to or feel guilty about. So um, yeah, I, I don't see how it could ever be solved, unfortunately. I think it's already been solved. Honestly, I think those photos that were sent to the family anonymously, I think that's the solution. I think that's what happened to her. Like, mm-hmm. to me, there's no uh, question. That's her. That's her. So that's what happened to her, sadly. Tough case. Tough case. As all of these were tough cases. So yep. um, it's nice to know that <clears throat> for those victims that um, have crossed over, that they are you know, they're okay, you know, that they are, they've been helped or they are in kind of treatment on the other side. Um, and that many of them are devoting their time to assisting other victims over from yeah. the other side, you know, especially children, because um, I think um, children who are murdered when they're young, um, that's a very confusing thing to cross, you know, Um and so that knowing that there are souls, both relatives and strangers actually, um, who can assist with that process, I think is um, kind of a beautiful thing. So, yeah. 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 Um, but, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, next week's podcast is covering the mysterious disappearance of George Allen Smith the fourth. And he also was on a Royal Caribbean ship, um, but it was an international ship and disappeared somewhere between Greece and Turkey. Uh, on his honeymoon so it'll be an interesting case to dig into yeah yeah i haven't even looked at it yet so i'm i'm curious about that one um i'm curious about all the ones you you do such a good job the slideshow was fantastic so i hope i hope our viewing audience liked it um and if you're listening to this and want to see it jump on over to youtube hit the like button subscribe button. let us know what you thought like i know it wasn't like super techie but um if it, yeah, if it enhanced your experience, we'd love to hear. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Feedback, feedback. So, all right, Sandy, I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And I will see you soon. Okay. Bye everybody. Bye. Thank you.